0: Hello and welcome to this Linklater's podcast on payments regulation. I'm joined by two of our payments regulation experts, Harry Edis and Olivia Murphy. In our previous podcast, we looked at the FCA's plans for a consumer duty and we're going to return to that topic today because, Olivia, there have been some developments, haven't there?
1: There have. In the previous episode, we talked about the FCA's consultation which proposed the duty Since then, the FCA has published its policy statement, which finalises the rules and the timetable for complying with them. So, for example, in the previous episode, we said we were expecting the duty to kick in from April. The FCA now says that this wouldn't give firms enough time to prepare. They acknowledge that implementing the rules will be extensive and complex for many firms, and so now we've got a two-phase implementation period From the end of July 2023, the duty applies to your new products and services and any existing ones which remain on sale. From the end of July 2024, you've got to comply with the duty for all of your products and services.
0: So that new deadline is one change. Harry, what else has the FCA changed?
2: Well, as you say, Simon, it's not just the deadline which is new. The FCA has also indicated dates for key milestones over the next few years. For example, according to their timeline, your board should have signed off your implementation plan by the end of October. That's obviously focused minds for many of our clients. But in general, I'd say the substance of the duty and the rules around the duty haven't really changed significantly. The main components of the duty remain in place. You'll have a new principle 12 at the top, a set of cross-cutting rules telling you to act in good faith towards your retail customers and avoiding foreseeable harm, And beneath those, you'll have four outcomes you need to achieve covering products, price, understanding and customer support.
0: No major structural changes then, but but what other insights have we learned which are going to be of interest to payments firms?
1: So one point that came through in the feedback to the SEAs consultation is that some firms and trade bodies from the payment sector felt they shouldn't be in scope of the duty at all. One argument was that many of the concepts in the duty aren't directly relevant to the sector, but the FCA isn't changing its approach. They think payments firms should apply the duty, and they point out that they've picked up on several harms in the e-money and payment services sector, and they want to use the duty to help raise standards. So for example, they point to customer support standards and specifically problems with the availability of customer support in firms where capacity has not kept up with growth and demand. They have also seen some deficiencies in how firms understand their obligations when it comes to handling customer complaints. The FCA has issued more guidance explaining how payments firms should approach the duty. For example, how the duty applies to payments in distribution chains, and also what constitutes material influence.
0: And, And that concept of material influence is important, isn't it, Harry? Because I think it could bring you into the scope of the regime even if you don't have a direct relationship with the client.
2: That's exactly right, Simon. The consumer duty applies across the distribution chain. The FCA has been absolutely clear on that. Where you're part of a payments distribution chain, you'll therefore need to consider if you have a material influence over retail customer outcomes. In other words, you may not have retail customers, but if you can materially influence products that are sold to retail customers, then the duty applies. And this new guidance that Olivia mentioned helps you to work out what that means in practice. For example, when it comes to retail products or services, do you influence material aspects of their distribution, design or operation? Or are you involved in preparing communications that go to retail customers? Or do you get involved in customer support? Any of these could bring you into the scope of the regime. Let's take your bank, for example, who acts as your custodian holding your safeguarded funds. The FCA's guidance is clear that the bank would be in the distribution chain, but it leaves open the question as to whether the bank has a material influence over retail customer outcomes. So again, you ask the usual questions, are they involved in the communications with the customers? Do they provide customer support? Probably more practical is the the way in which the service is operated and whether that therefore has an influence on uh, the outcome for retail customers. So that's something that will need to be assessed on a case-by-case basis. Thanks,
0: Harry. And if you'd like more detail on the scope of the regime and how the duty will apply to you, we're running a series of webinars on the consumer duty, including one which focuses on payments, challenges and the retail sector. That webinar is available now and you can find it on our Linklater's consumer duty webpage. Olivia, if you think that consumer duty could apply, what should you be doing?
1: So the first step really is scoping. And we know that many firms have already started working on this. Scoping involves mapping the services you provide and considering whether you're conducting retail market business. In the context of payments, retail market business means providing payment services, issuing e-money and activities connected to those involving a retail customer. And as Harry says, where you don't directly interact with a retail customer but you're involved in a payments chain or the distribution of e-money then you need to think about whether you could determine or materially influence outcomes for retail customers. For example, FCA guidance explains that if an e-money issuer is in a distribution chain with agents and distributors carrying out activities on its behalf, it's still the issuer's responsibility to make sure that agents and distributors comply with the duty. This is all to help you identify which your activities are in and out of scope. Once you've done that, you can put together an implementation plan.
0: And that's the plan which you need to have done by the end of October, isn't it?
1: Yes, that's right. The FCA say that firms' boards should have agreed their implementation plans by then and be able to evidence that they've scrutinised and challenged the plans to ensure they're deliverable and robust enough to meet the new standards. Given it's mid-October now, firms should be well on their way to having an implementation plan to be presented to their board, although I should point out that this isn't a hard and fast deadline. I think it's also worth flagging that you may be asked to share your implementation plan and board papers with the FCA. What I think this shows is how important it is to document the various aspects of your firm's implementation and compliance with the duty. For example, it's really useful to keep a record of those tricky edge cases and how you made the decision to say this particular product either is or isn't in scope. It's also worth documenting the policies and procedures which you think will help the firm comply with the duty. But it isn't just about having the right papers in place. It's also about making sure that the actions your firm takes actually lead to good outcomes for consumers.
2: I think that's right, Olivia. Understandably, most firms are focused on making sure that their implementation plan is signed off by the board this month. But the duty introduces monitoring obligations which must be complied with on an ongoing basis. First, there's a general obligation to monitor outcomes so you can identify where you might not be meeting the requirements of the rules. If there are gaps, this may suggest you're not meeting the Principle 12 requirement to deliver good outcomes for your customers. Secondly, there are also specific monitoring obligations which relate to each of the four outcomes under the regime. These obligations mean a couple of things in practice. First, payments firms need to be able to test and evidence the outcomes that their customers are receiving. This means that you need to develop a strategy covering what data you collect and how you collect it. Secondly, where a firm identifies that customers are not receiving good outcomes, you need to have processes in place to address the relevant issues or risks. Harry, at the uh, end of the last episode, I
0: asked Jean what payments firms should be doing, and she mentioned mapping, documentation, and senior management. I think we've touched on all those aspects again today, but now that a few months have gone by, what's your impression of, of how much progress
2: payments firms have made? Uh, generally, I'd say that firms have made a, a, a good start, but it's still early days. Getting that mapping or scoping exercise right is clearly really important. And we've had some interesting conversations with clients on this. For example, for those who have, had, who have a mixture of activities inside and outside the scope of the duty, what their approach is going to be to manage that. But you also need to move beyond scoping and start implementing. We've talked about the implementation plan several times, and getting it signed off by the board is probably the most immediate next step, but then you need to start delivering it. And for this, I'd encourage firms to focus on building the governance and monitoring framework, which will ensure ongoing compliance with the consumer duty regime. Thank you, Harry and Olivia.
0: As I mentioned earlier, if you'd like to hear more about some of the points we've discussed today, catch up with our recent webinar on the consumer duty, which is on the Linklater's website. Also, if you have any questions, please get in touch with us. But for now, thank you for listening and goodbye.